Today, we're talking about executive presence and the power of options with executive coach Sean Simon. Here's how Sean describes how you know you have executive presence. The leaders that have the greatest executive presence are the ones that are being talked about during talent management committees and succession planning discussions. These are the people that have runway. So if your boss is talking to you about this level and the next level, and people are looking to you as a reference for information and leadership, you have executive presence. And he also shares that if you don't have this yet, it is acquirable. It is a skill that you can build. But back to when you know if you have it, uh, when you have this, you can be a director sitting in a room with a bunch of vice presidents, senior vice presidents, uh, you know, and even higher levels, and you don't see any difference. You fit in with all the other executives and operate like them. The hierarchy thing goes away. People that operate with executive presence bring all of this together. They have the gravitas we were talking about earlier. They're not going to be squashed or diminished by the fact that they are supposedly a lowly director. So we are talking about executive presence and much, much more today uh, with Sean Simon. He is a passionate executive coach. He has the science and experience to back up what he shares, and he has the passion about what he does, and I'm eager to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. As Michael shares in the intro, I am Susie, and you are listening to the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, where we cover everything related to helping you and the employees in your organization build a high commitment, low drama, wake up eager workforce. So we're all about wake up eager here at Priceless Professional Development. We help leaders in organizations make good decisions about their people. And so we provide processes and tools and resources. And the whole focus is to help you increase involvement and enthusiasm in the work and the workplace. And because we bring who we are to work, we don't leave all our tendencies and our preferences at home when we come to work. We also cover topics related to personal development. So it's personal and professional development and tools to help you make good decisions. So our topics here are not only wake up your workforce topics, but wake up your life topics, because we want to create great connection and great engagement that translates to higher productivity, less turnover and higher profitability and wake up your lives. So no dread on Sunday night when we have to go to work. So today's episode is episode 91, and the topic is executive presence and the power of options. The show notes are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash executive presence. So that executive presence is all one word. So you go to my website and you're going to go type in pricelessprofessional.com forward slash executive presence. And that's going to give you, there's lots of things that we talk about. We've got a great PDF of summary of some of the books and things that Sean mentions, and it will give you the transcript and everything about this episode that we cover. So here is what we're going to cover. Uh, We're talking about, of course, developing executive presence that you heard as we got started today. We're going to, we have a discussion about the benefits of feedback and scientific rigor. We talk about these four power options 
they're very interesting because it's telling you, reminding you of, of ways to adapt to the room and to what people need. And then we, we tie that together with talking about disc styles and motivators. So if you've always wondered about the disc assessment or if you're familiar with it or not familiar with it, you'll hear more about it, the disc assessment and the motivators assessment. Um, and then Sean tells a little bit about his story moving uh, from an executive to an executive coach and, you know, what uh, what was his career story around that? How did that happen? So a little bit about Sean before we go right into our dialogue today is he is an accomplished, a highly accomplished biotech pharma executive. He has over 25 years of experience coaching and leading sales, uh, marketing and manage, managing managed market teams at Fortune 500 companies like Bristol-Myers, Squibb, uh, Sanofi, and Novo Nordisk. He also worked in the entrepreneurial part of that with building up a successful biotech startup, Insys Therapeutics. And there he had roles as a director, a vice president, and a senior vice president. So um, he has experience that most executives deal with, which is uh, managing large budgets, billion-dollar brands, P&L, million-dollar campaigns, major reorganizations, managing all kinds of things, co-promotion partners, and more. So great executive coach while, you know, in that way. And he has led teams from people who are seven people to 1,400 people. And then, you know, so as an executive coach now, he works with CEOs, presidents, general managers, and directors to achieve, you know, their key goals and changes and habits that they wish to build. He's so passionate about that. And so he's able to really relate to the people he's coaching because he understands what they're going through and he understands complex market dynamics and pressures and resource limitations and regulatory issues. So he is in the has been in the trenches and is able to be in the trenches with people who are seeking out an executive coach that can help them get reach their goals and get to the next level. So his focus is a trusting relationships with his clients and his specialty coaching areas include leadership effectiveness. We talk about all of this today, by the way, leadership effectiveness, leaders in transition, leaders interpersonal skills, and especially we talk about executive presence. So I am eager to share this with you. He does have all kinds of certifications. The way I met Sean was uh, he got certified as a uh, DISC, certified professional DISC analyst in our certification program. And that was in 2015, I think. It's been a while. So we've, we stay connected and he uses tools from our tool chest uh, to help his clients. And he has all kinds of certificates and education. And of course, you heard of the, his experience. So let's go to that episode now. I know you're going to enjoy it. Sean, it's so good to see you, and you're coming to us from your RV. Glad you're here. Lucy, great to be here with you always. And tell me where your RV is right now, and how often do you do this? I think you do it in the winter months, right? Well, I'm actually up here on the Jersey Shore, up by Avalon. And my new residence, I moved from Pennsylvania down to Naples, Florida, but it's too hot there in the summer, so I'm up here back on the Jersey Shore for the hot months. So I'm here through October, then I'm back down in Naples, Florida. That sounds fantastic. I didn't realize you moved there full time. That's great. And as you can see, I'm I'm located here in the woods. There's woods all around me. I'm three miles from the ocean. So uh, it's it's a great place to be, to focus, relax, and uh, 
do good work. Yeah, and you do. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your work. Let's talk about executive presence. And, um, you know, what is it and why does it matter? Yeah. So thank you for the question. First, it's important to note, executive presence is not something you either have or don't have, right? It can be acquired and developed over time and with some practice and some patience. So uh, there's hope for everyone that wants to develop executive presence, okay? And, you know, we all know it when we see it, right? You know, people that have executive presence, you know, in the boardroom, the executive committee, at the manager meetings, right? They have confidence, uh, even under high pressure, right? They have strong communication skills. They're able to articulate, you know, what they're thinking about and what they want to accomplish. They can be concise. They're active listeners. But importantly, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, DISC and the things that we do with motivators are so important because we need to, in the process, adapt our communication style to different audiences, right? And convey ideas with simplicity to the audience the way they want to receive it. You know, mom always used to tell me, Sean, do unto others as you want done unto yourself. Well, that was really good until we got the science, right? This great science around DISC. And now we end interactions with people the way they want to be engaged with. Not the way we like it, but the way they would like to be engaged. So we went from the golden rule to the platinum rule. Yes. So, you know, back to executive presence. One of the best definitions that I've seen over the years and experienced is it's the leader's ability to engage, align, and inspire people to move and act. Again, the leader's ability to engage, align, inspire people to move and act. And there's a lot of qualities that go with that. And we talk about appearance, right? You know, you want to be professional. You want to match the audience. I always say dress, you know, one level up if you're presenting, but you want to demonstrate professionalism and all you do. And that includes appearance. And and you'll find people that have executive presence, they're very decisive, right? And they, they make decisions and they take ownership of their decisions. All these things get captured in the broad term executive presence. Awesome. So I think the tool that we use or that you use, we I refer anybody who comes to me for the executive presence uh, 360 or request for that to you. But I think there's three areas. So I like that you how you talked about engage, align, inspire. And then when we think of executive presence, a lot of times people say, I'll hear people say when they're trying to, I want somebody with gravitas. You know, so that's what I see. But I love that the uh, 360 is measuring. uh, I wrote them down to remind myself, even though I was trained in it, I don't deliver it like you do. So style and execution is one part, substance and credibility and character and trust. So it's what you see, but it's behind what you see, too, isn't it? Exactly. And there's like 15 qualities of leadership. These are research qualities of leadership that get captured in that uh, Bates EXPI 360 assessment. So often we're not being received the way we think we are, right? We have a given, we have intent. And then what happens is we're not being received the way we intended to. We're being experienced differently or perceived differently. And that's why I like that assessment because it doesn't measure the leader's competency in practicalism or authenticity or inclusiveness. It measures how the leader's experiencing that dimension, which is so much more valuable to know how you're really being received. So that's that's an incredible uh, tool to use, as well as 
you can't be 360 interviews, you know, one-on-one interviews with the people that work with them to understand how they're being received. Yeah. So you use the tool and you do interviews with people. And I do live interviews. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, both give you, you know, sometimes you you pick up nuances probably in the in-person interviews. And then with the assessment, it's kind of giving you a framework specifically to executive presence. Thank you. That's absolutely right. There are things you will pick up in the dialogue. However, the assessment also allows the raters to write in things. So it's not just a pure sterile multi-rater tool. It yeah. does have the opportunity for people to write in. So. That makes it even more valuable. And it's so funny about feedback. I like how you started that that segment right there where you said it's uh, we're not always received the way we think we are. We we are intending, you know, we think we're being so clear and then we're listening so well and or certain things. And, and sometimes we're just not. Uh, it's absolutely so true. This is literally yesterday. I'm coaching an executive and we were we were going over some of his more recent interactions and you know, we're working on him, his ability to build relationships and actions he can take to be more user-friendly. And there's some cultural things that he's working through here in the U.S. Uh, but in the process, he shared with me, he'd been working with one leader, thought he had a great relationship. Like they've been, they talk at the end of day five, he helps her, she helps him. And then the other day, he had an interaction with her and she had heard or thought that he meant something that was totally off totally off base, was not nowhere near his intent. And he was so surprised. And she'd been carrying this with her for months. You know, even though they engage, they work effectively together. But in his uh, dialogue with her, you know, he was, you know, inquiring on how he's doing. And she brought this out. And she was actually, she'd held this back for so long. And I'm thinking, of course, you know, with DISC, probably a high S. You know, if you work with you know, high S's, you know, they have emotions, but they don't really show them. They're, they're not, right? Until they're asked and until they feel comfortable, exactly. right? Until, exactly. Until you know, so yeah. anyway, so we spent some time. Now, this is one of the ways we use this so effectively is we help people understand where others are at and to help draw them out. I always say, if you're working with, with a team and, you know, you have a couple S's, make sure you ask them the question because they have thoughts, you know. They just gonna hold back a little. They're not like the I's and the D's, you know? Yeah. So. so so anybody who's listening who isn't familiar with the disc assessment, talk up for a minute about you know how what your t- what it is and how you use it. Yeah. So I've been using the tool thanks to you, Susie, for probably 14, 15 years now. And it, it just, just captures people's style. And the way and I love disc because it's so simple, right? And I do Myers. Briggs, I do the Hogan, I do all do all of them, but the disc is just so straightforward and clear. It's easy to remember, it's easy to execute on, but it captures, you know, a people's style, how people, how uh, they're received, right? Their observable behavior. It's not why they, it doesn't capture why they do what they do, right? We know that's motivators, but it's really, you know, what we see, it's the car they drive. I think one of the analogies we use is, you know, it's the the car and the gas that goes in is the motivators, the things that make you move. But the, the assessment is va- very valuable for anyone looking to improve how they engage with others. And there's self-awareness, right? I end up actually coaching more people on them overplaying a strength than I do filling some kind of gap. And if, if they're playing too hard, leaning into a strength too much, uh, sometimes that could be their blind spot. Yeah. Um, so it's a 
a valuable tool. I recommend it. And actually, if uh, I love to share with people, it's actually validated by Consulting for Dummies. They have uh, the whole chapter on you know doing business development. And that chapter on business development, I actually read you what it says. It says uh, the importance of knowing the client's style, right? Engaging with them. It's, it's actually this. It's you know, understand the client's style. Talk to them in their style. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also there's an, another book that also validates the importance of leveraging style. It's, it's a bestseller. And let me see if it's going to escape my mind here. Give me a, give me a second. So the seismic shift in leadership. It actually talks about leaders need to understand their communication styles and communicate clearly to each team member. So the, the importance of, of this cannot be underestimated. Yes. And you're so right. Uh, we take for granted that however we're, our strengths are, we kind of take them for granted. Like, okay, yeah, do, doesn't everybody do that? And so that's why we don't know what our strengths are. And that's how we can overuse them because we think, oh, you know, you know, I'll be direct. I love how you talked about, you know, it becomes a blind spot. And, uh, and so you use that uh, quite a bit in all of your coaching and then also in executive presence because it helps people. When you say the definition is their ability to engage, align, and inspire people to move and act, well, they're going to only move and act if you've related to them in some way, created, you know, begun to understand who they are. And so that's how that ties into executive presence, isn't it? A- absolutely. And uh, the ability to know where people are at. So the other piece of executive presence, there's a, a researcher is Dr. Maharabian, and he he's done a lot of research on the three V's of communication, and that and and then there's also the audience agenda, right? It's knowing where your audience is, what's top of mind. So if you have executive presence, you're understanding where the audience is. You may in, understand individual style too. The top leaders, what's their style? How do they like to be engaged? And demonstrating that, and that can be challenging for. A lot of executives that work with their board, right? They work with board members. They absolutely want to have incredible executive presence. But the best ones are the ones that could deal with individual board members, where they're coming from, and in their style. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and and why do we want executive presence, right? The people, if you want to have influence, and I haven't met a leader yet that doesn't want to have more influence. Yeah. Executive presence gives you that. And it helps you fulfill your potential. I mean, having incredible executive presence enables you to fulfill your potential. Make the biggest difference. To be actively, if you have executive presence, people are going to actively listen to you. You know, they're going to listen more intently. You remember the the EF Hutton ads? You know, when EF Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Yes. You know, you've got executive presence when people are really listening to you, right? When they come to you. You know, when all the problems begin to come to you, you you know, you've got something going for you. Yes. Yes. And I love that when I think about that, then I think of those categories. Okay. So you look the part, you are the part because you have substance and credibility, and then they trust you because you have your substance, credibility, and character. I mean, all of those pieces just that's uh that's why that 360 and and you know how you focus on it. You're the one who got me so excited about executive presence and that you could actually measure it, you know. So it just makes so much sense. Absolutely it does. You know, so where there's scientific rigor, and you know, one of my motivators is you know, I'm a high theoretical, so I love the science, the education, and understanding the whys and the hows behind things. So uh, that assessment makes so much sense. And what makes it so much uh, even 
more powerful is the fact that what you get out of it, it's accurate and it's specific. So the action plan we develop, we have 100% confidence. It's the right action plan because this is what we've detected how you're being experienced. <laughs> yeah. Hence the beauty of feedback. And, you know, like if every leader could get comfortable with feedback and just say, you know what, I, I, you know, I understand the hesitancy of it, but as a consultant, I learned early on, it's like, I'm going to get boatload of feedback. Therefore my growth was very quick because <laughs> you, you get immediate yeah. feedback as a consultant. If you go out, present, you find out whether it worked or it didn't work. And so leaders get it too, but sometimes in a culture, they get can kind of like, it's not as blaring, you know? So anyway, so if you can get more feedback, you are going to improve faster, you know, just to be open with it. And then for getting the specificity, because we think, oh, I need to work on this. I need to go learn some more. And sometimes, no, it's not about learning. It's about listening or it's, you know, something much softer that's going to have the biggest yes. impact, you know, yes. we don't know that, you know? So your, your points on uh, wanting and gaining feedback are so, so important. In my early days, there was an author, Hank Weisinger, a PhD psychologist, and he wrote this book, The Critical Edge, and it was about encouraging everybody in the organization to demand constructive criticism and to welcome it. And I use that. I incorporated that in how I operate with my teams always. We always want feedback. We can always tell people, I'm in the biggest room and I never leave it. And they look at me, what? You're in the biggest room and you never leave it? I go, yes, that's the room for improvement. I love <laughs> that. I love that. Perfect. That is perfect. You know, that's it. So, uh-huh. And that's been captured with Kaizen, you know, people, constant learning, et cetera. But again, there's my motivator, right? I'm a high theoretical. So, you know, when you work with me, you're going to have the best science. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> and such a good, good, happy spirit. And you're very, very giving and very supportive. And I've enjoyed that with you over so many years. Thank you. Well, you're the one that's supportive. I come to Susie and Susie's got it. <laughs> All the well, reports, you... modified reports, custom reports, uh, a second a second opinion and thought, you know, interpretation, yeah. all great. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like doing this work. I get to work with great people. Great people. So how do you know if you have executive presence? Would it be to, uh, it's when people are coming to you, you know, the people listen when you speak, what would be some other things? Of course, you can measure it, but what are some other telltale signs? Yeah. So the leaders that have, you know, the greatest executive, they're the ones that are being talked about the talent management committees, succession planning, right? These are people that have runway. So if your boss is talking to you about this level and the next level, and obviously you, know, you are the one, and it's obvious that people look to you as a, as a reference. And when you have executive presence, you could be a director sitting in a room with a bunch of vice presidents, senior vice presidents. But if you're a director with executive presence, you don't see any difference. You fit in. With all the other executives, oh, and that's a good image. Like them, yeah, yep. Right, and the hierarchy thing goes away. People that operate with executive presence, you know, we're in this together, and your pin or badge or lapel—that's that's all fine and good. But we're about what's right for the business, and having that gravitas that you were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. That they're they're not going to be squashed or diminished by the fact that they are a lowly director. 
right? Yes. For a manager, that kind yes. of thing. Yes, yes, right? yes. They're comfortable in the room. So how do people get that? Do you think people are born with that? You know, you've got the different styles and, and all that. We're going to hit on that a little bit more. But you say that everybody can acquire that. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. It can be developed. You know, you're not born with executive presence. It's cultivated over time. And, it, you know, it can depend on the individual. Some, you know, some individuals just have to realize that they can be more assertive, right? Or that their, their confidence isn't where it needs to be for them to be able to tap what they have to bring to the table. So so that's just one example, right? The confidence to, to be able to, to insert yourself. And sometimes, you know, people aren't sure how to insert themselves because now they have this, they may have come from the military or this cultural things where there's a hierarchy, you know, the yes. caste system, yes. right? Yes. So sometimes they want to overcome that and recognize that. So how else do you develop it? It's if you understand best ways to communicate with the audience, given the scenario, and that was uh, one of the reasons I loved the uh, the Harvard Business Review article on you know, having the four stances. It's you know recognizing where the audience is, and then recognizing your default stance. And do you need to be in your default stance, or do you need to be in another stance that's more appropriate for that situation? These are subtle things that you, that make the leader with executive presence have even more options and power. So that article we'll have in the show notes along with all the different books you're referencing, but it's a Harvard Business Review article that Sean sent to me. And so I said, oh, we need to talk about this. And it's called, and just to give everybody the title, The Power Options, Always Give Yourself Four Ways to Win by David Noble and Carol Kaufman. And so that gets to what we're talking about in regard to putting yourself in you know, so so often when we're presenting, all we're thinking about is what we've got in our head and what needs to get on the table. And we don't, you know, we don't ever get past that and think about, okay, what do they want to hear? What do they need to hear? How do they need to hear it? Is that what this the power yeah, of options helps it absolutely. with? It, it's really, it's taking a pulse on where is the, the audience now, okay? You know, what, what do they really need? So, and they put together a, a terrific, grid that basically is you see this you want to do this you don't want to do that and what i loved about it is it connected me to disc because there's there's four positions there's a lean in position right take an active stance on resolving the issue right some people this is your current default this would be my default right take an active stance on resolving an issue actions in this stance include deciding directing guiding challenging and confronting so that's probably my default but the reality is where that where they are with this given topic, they may need to just digest and contemplate and be thinking through. They don't need someone in a lean in stance. So the leader has the executive presence and savvy to understand where they're at. He can shift to you know not leaning right, a lean back posture, just observing and analyzing. It's about being still and discipline yourself to create space for others. When do you create space for others? And then there may be situations where you need to lean with and, and collaborate what's going on versus take it in a different direction or your direction. You know, there's a lot of this style in this, but what the authors have done has expanded it to include this is what your environment looks like in the room. Yes. And these are the dynamics. Now, what do you do? And the best people with exactly, wait, we adapt. So it's, it's all about, you know, adapting to the right style. It's adapting to, a lean in, a lean back, a lean with, 
or don't lean. That's what they, they offer up and they give you know, specifics on what might be best. So my uh, clients will practice. We'll, we'll begin to, to evaluate what's going on and begin to practice, you know, inserting themselves. You, you would ask, you know, how do they demonstrate this executive presence if they don't have it? Well, understanding where the group is and how to best insert yourself, this will give them confidence on what might make the most sense on how they engage. That makes sense. So the four options are lean in, lean back, lean with, and don't lean. Exactly. And what's the don't exactly. lean mean? Is that where uh, you're not doing anything? You're supposed to not get, uh, create anything? or It's more observing, analyzing, and giving them time to come to a solution. So it's like all the ingredients for baking the cake are all together. We just need to let it you know, cook and bake in the oven now for a little bit, right? Yeah. We don't need to. We don't need to be uh, adding more ingredients to it. It's past that stage. Yeah, um, yeah. But so the actions include contemplating and, and visualizing, and and settling through a diaphragmatic, just breathing and relaxing, and let it come together at that point. Yeah, that not being so action oriented. And I totally can see the the style in this. So lean in is the high D style. So somebody who's a high D leader, like, okay, yeah. let's take action. We got to do something now. And then the lean back, would that be maybe the, what's what was the thing with that? What was? It's more of an analytical stance to yeah. observe, collect, and understand data, actions, include analyzing. So it's clearly, this is the C. Right? C, this so is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, high compliance, which is, you know, in the car analogy, that is, um, we say the train where you like point A to C, you're analyzing and thinking. And then the don't lean, no, no, the lean with collaborate, that's the high I. Oh, let's do this together. Let's figure out Absolutely. the answers, right? Real inclusive. High I is the high influence. And we always say with the vehicle there, it's an all-terrain vehicle, yeah. which is, you know, big party. <laughs> Everybody's in the in the vehicle and they're making quick turns. And then the don't lean would be the S, which is just thinking about it before they're going to speak. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so okay. it's amazing how they took this, which is so powerful. And what they've done is they've given you an optic on how it might apply to business situations and more of a group kind of setting for how that leader might engage. Yeah. So that's why I thought it was just, it was actually very uh, helpful for two leaders that are uh, looking to elevate their game. They have, you know, they're looking to up their expertise. And this was a real subtle, powerful way to do it. And you know, what's so interesting is the thing with the disc styles is whatever our natural style is, that's our strengths. And as you were saying, we can dial up like, so if somebody needed to be more assertive, they can dial that up with awareness and adapt their style, you know, and, but the other thing is, is when we get under stress, so, so if a leader was under stress in a meeting, they tend to, we tend to dig into what's natural to us. So we get under stress. I, you know, like my, I'm very high D and very high I. So I would try to do lean in and lean with if I was nervous in the meeting without awareness, without somebody helping me remember and practice. Okay, wait a minute. You don't need to do either one of those. You know, if I was stressed, you know, because we, right, we lose right. our ability to adapt when we're under stress. We just go to what's natural to us. So that's interesting. <laughs> I just made a connection from what you were saying. And right. So we have our natural disc and we have our adapted. Really? If we're leveraging our, our adapted as as we're aware of what's happening in our environment and we do it to be more effective at work generally, this is a way to help you evolve your adaptive to be even more effective for yourself. <laughs> Susie, yeah. thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's why we're a good team. <laughs> 
we're I always like learning that. from each other. But yeah, yeah, it's so interesting, you know, because we think, you know, we need to just do ourselves, and especially if you're, you know, trying to build credibility, you're the director in the room and everybody's a VP. We just think, okay, I just need to do all what I'm really good at. And I'm a little, maybe a little tense because this is maybe my first time being in the meeting. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, okay, without some awareness of reading the room, the other piece that this reminds me a little bit of is some work I did around relational presence, which is to just, just, you know, I'm a real busy body. So for me to learn to not to be busy, to just be present and, and calm yourself down and, and see what the situation calls for. You know, it was a great exercise. I did a podcast on it. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but yeah, that's what you're helping people do. Yeah. Let me add to what you just said there. There's a, a simple model that supports just what you said, you know, improving your presence and it's called, I'm sure you've heard of it, the, the Agris Ladder of Inference. It was developed by Chris Agris, a psychologist in the 60s. But it's how the brain processes information to take action and make decisions. And it's, it's a ladder. And what we find is the more experienced the leader is, the faster we race up the ladder, you know, been there, done that, seen that, their references, their experiences, and they come to a, they already have an answer. And the problem is when you race up that ladder, you're basically checking out. Okay, you've already come to, and so your 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 engagement, your EQ at that point is really not the best. Like because you're, you're not reading the room anymore. Exactly, you, you've already come to decision. So what I do is I, I ask leaders just to practice staying at the bottom of the ladder. So the next time you're in a meeting, try to stay a little longer before you come to your conclusion. Stay another minute. Or two. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Just hang in a little longer at the bottom because you, you'll be surprised. And I want you to capture when you do this, how many things you pick up you didn't know or how many insights. Oh, so that's, that's great. So then that encourages them to stay there a little longer. And it's amazing when they come back with. So, yeah. and, and one of the, the downsides to, and in today's society, right, we move so fast, we don't have a lot of time. So leaders automatically, we all do this. You know, we race to our experience and our solutions. But we end up we end up making more errors that way. So it's a way to be more more fail safe. So that's a good one. And yeah. that is an, another tool I like to use. It's called the influence equation. And everybody wants to have more influence. Do you know any leaders that you've worked with that don't want to have any more? <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody wants it. Yes. So this is a third grade equation. It's I equals P over I over R. I equals P over R. I is influence. So we know for math, right? If we want the I to grow, right, the, the P is, is uh, persuasiveness. Persuasiveness over R and R is resistance. So to be have more influence, we can argue harder. We can provide more data. We can provide our experience. We might even raise our voice, right? But we're all, you have to be able to persuade people. So that's a given, okay? But so you could do more of that, right? That's the numerator. So if you raise the numerator, you know, I is going to get bigger, right? Because the numerator is going up. Or you can reduce the denominator, the R, the resistance. So this is really what I like to challenge leaders to do is in a good time to do this is when you sense there's stress in the room or there's some conflict. Instead of being more persuasive, ask some questions. Take a Socratic approach. Reduce the resistance by seeking to understand where they're coming from, why they think that. So anyway, we got off that little tangent, but it's all about influence. And this is incredible executive presence. If you executive presence, you're using these tools and models to help yourself and the organization. 
Yes. No. That's awesome. That is awesome. Okay. So I love that equation too. And it is, it is always about reducing resistance, you know, so I always think about that whenever like, so we're going in and asking people to complete assessments in an organization. How can we make it so that they want to participate? You know, yeah. so everything is, is thought of, you know, so from the email that they get to the communication that they yeah. get, I mean, from the very beginning so that they want to participate and can benefit, you know, so that is, I never thought of it through that lens of your yeah. equation, you know, and every piece of it is about, you know, everything we've been talking about, thinking about it from their perspective. What do they need to hear and know to want to participate? Yeah, that's yeah. powerful. What's in it for me with them? It never yes. goes away too for Yeah that situation and if you if you and then when you're asking that you also communicate you understand what's top of their mind yeah you're gonna you're gonna double your odds of getting it right yeah so i like the latter thing too because it it reminds me of so so say you're at a store and they see you and they make an assumption and they say well oh you need this car and you're like, oh, you've moved up the ladder because you've seen me before. You've seen people like me before. It's like, yeah, you didn't really find out what I needed. You know, that's the first thing that came to mind, you know, when people make assumptions. And that's what leaders can do because they go up that ladder really quick. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's interesting. So let's go back to motivators and yeah. this style. And you touched on it. So tell everybody what your top this uh, style is, what your top behaviors are. And yeah. then, you know, a little bit about you, what that means about you and what you, how, you, what you've learned from using that for, on yourself. Yeah. So I'm a high D and I'm not a super high D. I think my number is like 76. And then I'm followed by an S and an I. So my scores there are like 66. So I'm a D, a high D primarily. I'm a secondarily, I'm, a, I'm an S and an I. And my C is like way down there. My C is like, like a seven. Okay. So, and now, uh, for everybody, the scale goes from zero to a hundred, and whatever you score high on, there's no bad, there's no no bad score. It all is good. It's a matter yeah. of how we use it, but it just tells us our communication preferences. Just to remind you, okay? Thank you. Yeah. So, so my intensity on the D is it's not at a hundred; it's at seventy-six. My intensity on the S and the I is you know sixty. So it's visible. You know, people can see those aspects of how I, I engage with people, and it's interesting what I learned. <laughs> One of the things that I, I did throughout life in corporate America was I used to always pair myself with with an analytical, with a high C. So, you know, one of the uses is, you know, compliment your style. To me, that worked for me. So my right arm, I always had someone that was dotting the I's and crossing the T's so I can move fast, be strategic and do the other things that I was doing. But they would really help me out. And so that's that's just, you know, one simple application that everybody should really think about when they have the opportunity to uh, strengthen their overall approach to things. Also, I use this with a lot of teams that are coming together. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's probably one of the best team building exercises you can do early on, right? To help people get an understanding of people's style and how they want to be engaged. And, and the particular assessment that you use, that you offer, says I love the uh, ways to communicate, ways not to communicate. So it gives the, the the boss, the supervisor, an opportunity to share, hey, when you communicate to me, this is how I like it done. Here are ways to avoid it. But more importantly, I want to hear how you want to be engaged. And then each person gets to kind of share, you know, their preferred ways to engage. And, and it's all style related. So it's yeah. all connected to understanding the disc. 
and, and leveraging. There are so many ways to use it. And then I will, will, I'll ask the leaders, when are they, are they ever aware of their overplaying <laughs> or, or overplaying one of their strengths? Are they too much of a D? You know, what, what might that look like? So, uh, yeah, great questions. Yes. So the D is assertive, is, is the behavior you might see. Yep. The S is, so it's so interesting. So, and you, I've seen this in you quite a bit, is the uh, direct, but then also this S is the steadiness is this just kind of personable, uh, easygoing. So it's, you have a mix and then the I is, you know, friendly and kind of, you know, the Aging, bit, sometimes the life of the party. Yeah. yeah. Optimistic. Yeah. Engaging. yeah. We move fast. We, we want to talk. You know, I, I've learned if you're with an I, you better let them talk. Yeah. They have to talk. If you don't. Yeah. Uh, and on the S, I think you and I had a conversation earlier before the call about the high S's right there. They have, they're not necessarily going to put it out there. They're going to hold it in. They have emotions. And if you're working with an S, you really want to take time to ask them the question because they have an idea, they have a thought. But they're not going to throw it on the table like the D would or the I would, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because people always describe a amiable, you know, so in the, in the car or vehicle analogy, we always use a gondola. So if you think of a gondola in Italy, the guy yeah. or the gal who's, you know, driving the gondola, gondola is going at an easy pace and it's very, you know, uh, facilitative. How can I help you? Kind of, you know, amiable. And and describe a high C style. Somebody had a high well, C style. The C's when you engage with the C, they're going to ask you a lot of questions, right? They're all about precision. They're all about accuracy. And what what doesn't go with precision and accuracy is high risk. They don't like a lot of risk. So that's something to, to keep in mind. But they're, you know, they're data driven. They want the numbers. You know, when you deal with the C, you absolutely want to uh, engage them with facts and figures. You know, yeah. they're, they're not necessarily going to be interested in what happened. Uh, with the New York Jets, you know, in their first game with Aaron Rodgers, you know, they're going to want to know the numbers. And <laughs> yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Give them the logic and the details, right? So uh, what I also find, tell me if you find this, when people are learning DISC, it is quick and easy to learn. So you can get the style, like just in this short conversation, people have got an idea of DISC. But the continuum of learning is, okay, first I need to understand that there's these dimensions. And then I have to understand myself. And then I need to, the next evolution is, okay, I got to understand when I'm overusing it. And then the next is, now I need to read other style. And then the 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 Mac Daddy executive presence winner, 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 chicken dinner is when you can go to the next step. And I want, I'm curious if you see a leader is able to do this or move through that evolution. They now adapt their style for people. Yeah. It's a process and it's not as easy as it sounds. Right. So it does start with, you know, what is my style and am I, and how am I inserting myself? How, how am I engaging with others? Am I overplaying it? But having awareness. And then to adapt, right? I went ahead and brought people on that complimented me. So that's that. And they'll engage you with others. Taking time to really figure out where others are, are at is huge. And then and engaging with them that way. Yeah, that's the to me, right. that's the ticket right there. When you start yeah. doing that, you've now fully used DISC. Sometimes it never goes beyond that. People just know the styles and just make assumptions. Okay, you're this and that's it. It's, it's deeper than that. And you can actually have a lot of fun with the disc. So you can use, you know, the gondola. <laughs> you you can use the all-terrain vehicle. So you can use those graphics, right, and have people 
and I, I encourage people. I also use the eagle, the owl. I'm, yeah, I'm still the using the, the ornithology approach to birds. But anyway, yes, yeah. that's perfect. Whatever so works. An eagle, an owl, a parrot, or a dove, right? You know, oh, so okay. You have people just identify what they align to, right? So the one side's got the descriptors. These are the characteristics. The next side shows this is how you engage with them. This is their preferred style. And it's a it's a fun thing. So even when I work with leaders, they have their disc, but they may not know their colleagues. We can figure it out. And we engage them to figure it out as well. So, so that's actually a bit of fun. And yeah. there's, a little, there's a different level of bonding and connectedness that happens. And then if they're really interested, we get them, you know, the disc assessment, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it helps people move from like from judgment. So the high C isn't judging the high D and the high D isn't judging the high C. You're saying, oh, you bring strengths, which is what you said. You bring strengths that I don't really, you know, Absolutely. have. Yeah. Absolutely. Changes the game. Yeah. And the same with uh, with motivators. Yeah. Talk about yours. What are your top two? You said theoretical earlier. And then what's your least interest? What's your number six? Do you recall that? Tradi- traditional. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm all about breaking the rules. You know, I don't like <laughs> to stick with a pattern. You know, your traditional, you know, if that's your motivator, those are, there's a set way of doing things, right? You're often, there's rules and regulations. You might be a clergyman, you might be a police officer, fire, but there's a way to do things. So I, I like the way to do things, but I'm also open to a lot of other things. So that's really not my, I'm more open to, uh, I need the freedom. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that becomes a motivator because it's what you scored as your least interest. And your top is, is it theoretical and utilitarian or theoretical it, and individualistic? It's, it's individualistic, theoretical, and then utilitarian, but they're all pretty close. My yeah. top three are pretty close. So Yeah. So if for everybody, there's six motivators and, and tell everybody what the difference is between motivators and style. Yeah. So motivators really address why you do what you do. They're your biases. I always tell people... You want to know motivators because it's your filter. Everybody has a mm, filter. And that's great. And, and all the filters, are, the filters are all good. But you have a filter. My filter is, as a utilitarian, I look for a quid, I look for quid pro quo. I look for efficiencies. I look for resourcefulness. I look for an ROI. That's my filter with utilitarian. You know, my number one individualistic is, you know, the filter is I want to achieve things. I want to make things happen. You know, I, I want to have impact. So I know that those are my filters. And when I work, I worked with uh, an executive and his executive team. And what we did was we lined uh, people up, okay, uh, on a spectrum from one end to the other, picking a, a motivator. And what we challenge people to do is uh, I want you to find the value that that motivator might bring, the traditional or the high social, right? So, so everybody was, and there were, and we had different things that were going on within a company, different issues, different challenges, different projects, different objectives. And we started to talk about how each filter might bring value to that. So they were going through a reorg and in a reorg, you really want to have concern for people and the high social, they have just a natural ability, right. To, to work and support that. Right. And, uh, and there was, there was a project on philanthropy. So you want the people that really care and that's their passion to be involved in that. So the goal is to help recognize the value of all the motivators and to understand yours. Uh, and it also, importantly, it helps you understand when you're uncomfortable with, with people or meetings. Sometimes, 
maybe it's because they're motivators and what you're doing is it's really not your top two, right? We strive right. to be in our top two. And when we fulfill those, you know, we kind of look to fulfill the next one. But if I'm in a room and it's all about the traditional social stuff, yeah, I'm not going to feel that comfortable. That's not my, that's not my preferred filter. So, but, but having recognition of that is, is huge. And it also helps identify what's your best environment. Knowing your motivators helps you. If you're looking for your next job, and you're evaluating different postings, use your motivators to understand how are they going to be impacted? You yes. Know, what's the right environment for you? Yes. So that's excellent. I love how you call, talk about it through filters. That's a that's an excellent way to to make yeah. the point of that. So let's go through them real quick. What do, what does a high theoretical want? They want to learn. They're always seeking new information. They want you know they're going to go to the next seminar. They're going to read the next book. They're going to read the next Harvard Business Review article. They're all <laughs> yeah. about now. Now it's seeking. Okay, that's where they're at. They yeah, want, they want to learn. They want I, to learn. Utilitarian, you mentioned what you like, and you, you're both theoretical and utilitarian, but let's take that one. Utilitarian. Yeah, no, I'm about efficiencies and no waste and, re, and a return on investment and being resourceful. So, you know, the economics of things are important for utilitarian. Yes. Know? So you see a, a lot of uh, CFOs may have this as their top, one of their top two motivators, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, we say 82% of all top salespeople have it in their top motivator, too. Oh, yeah, the salespeople. I do this and get that. Yeah, Yeah, CFO is perfect, too. So individualistic. Well, that's all about, you know, power, making things happen, uh, making a difference. It's driving change, leading change. That's typically what you see there. So they're going to be competitive, right? It's competitiveness, too, right? If you're high individualistic, you know, it's it's all relative to everybody else, and you want to make a bigger difference. Yeah, and it's you're comfortable being in the spotlight. Yeah, yes, that's good. Yeah. Okay, so then you mentioned traditional regulatory. What's that? Let's just restate oh, it for it's not people. The traditional, yeah, yeah. So you know, if that's your top motivator. You be, you believe in a way to do things. There's a way to do things. There are standards. There's a process. There's something that's established. There's rules and regulations. There's a way to do it, and that's the way. You it like should it, be right? done. That's what it should be done. <laughs> yeah. And you know, they're not yeah. necessarily open. You know, the downside is they may not necessarily be open to the, the new gizmo, right? Yeah, the new, new gizmo. Way get, new, yeah. new way to get it done. Yeah. We've been doing it this way. It works. They stay with the tried and true. Yes. That's, that's what they like. Okay. How about social altruistic? Well, social, I always look at uh, social as they're generally, right, these are they're really caring. They're all about the people. And they, so there's an analogy. High social, if there's hungry people, they're going to give them fish. They're going to feed them fish. That's a social. Whereas yeah. a utilitarian, he's, he's going to teach them how to fish. <laughs> yes. right? But they just care so much, right? Yes. So much. Like there might be a nurse, a clergy, high social. Yes. That's kind of where they're at. And let's do the sixth one, aesthetic. The aesthetic. So the aesthetics, you know, my better half, she's she's got aesthetic. And she just notices things like she walk in a room and notice the wings coating. She'll notice the fiber on the curtains. She'll notice the coating, you know, nuances. And I I'm like clueless. I have no idea. Like they <laughs> notice their environment, the harmony, yeah. and you know, they it's like another sense. Yes, like, I always what, say they're very intuitive because they see yeah. the big picture. Uh, I tend to compartmentalize, so high aesthetic will help me, like, oh, pull back a little bit, like, oh, 
<laughs> I thought of yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it's one of to me it's like an extra sense they have with that one because oh, I, I love I, that. Yeah. I really don't, I really don't have that. That filter is not my my powerful filter. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. Yes. That's cool. Great. Great. Going through that. And so we kind of anybody who's listening now has kind of a. a I to you know you like to do both sciences and and you do EQ because they yeah. each measure something different. You got the style, that's how they like to communicate. The motivators is what's their filter, and then EQ is their ability to relate to others. It's a part of executive presence, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. So thank you for that because I often work with top flight leaders that uh, they they don't they get triggered. Okay, and when they get triggered. They, they don't behave necessarily the way they should be. They might say yeah. things they shouldn't be saying. So their restraint evaporates. So all EQs, you know, the self-awareness, self-regulation. And some leaders, you have – there are situations that are triggers for them, and they don't operate the best way. So that's important. And then there's the social regulation and social awareness as well, ability to shape you know, and recognize where the group is at. And I always tell people, I say, look, you get hired for your IQ, you get promoted on your EQ. Okay. Yes. And yes. EQ is is what's going to really, it's going to make the difference, right? And it's hard to have good executive presence without having good EQ. Right? Yes. Because if you have good EQ, you're reading the audience, you're reading yourself, you're managing yourself. And it all starts with self-awareness. It all starts with you managing. All leadership starts really with you know, your self-awareness. <laughs> you yes, know? yes, 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 yes. So well, I was looking at your bio. I mean, I've known you since 2015, and I knew that you were in the pharmaceutical industry and you were in sales and then leadership and uh, you were an executive. How did you end up in coaching? So I was reading your bio again. I'm like, how did you end up in coaching? He's a great coach. But how yeah. did you get here? Yeah, so thank you. So. I started out as a rep, was a manager, and then a director, a senior director, a vice president, a senior vice president, and got to sit on the talent management, succession planning committees. But in all those roles, when I became a manager, I used to evaluate myself on how many people I got promoted, how many people I developed. As a director, I did the same thing. So at the end of the year, right, I had sales objectives, and our teams blew them away. But I really evaluated myself. My top criteria was how many people did I get promoted, did I develop? And then I became a vice president. I developed a mantra. My mantra was, so all my directors and the managers, we are we are the organization's farm team. And they looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, we're the organization's farm team. Just like the Yankees have a farm team, they're developing people to get into the majors. <laughs> yeah. I want us to be able to feed training, marketing, analytics, operations, medical with our team. That's it. We're the farm team. So that's always been my mantra, okay? And one of the last changes in corporate America, I know a new CEO came in. He wiped out the senior leadership team. I said, you know what? I think I want to do something else now. And and I've always been about developing people. So coaching was just my passion. I realized all these years I've been a frustrated coach. Oh, how great is that? Yes. So so I'm leaning into really what my passion is, you know, helping, you know, leaders be the best they can be. Right. So that's how I got here. And and I'm loving it. Yeah. So it's been, has it been eight years now or longer? Well, longer than that. It's almost 10 now. Yeah. Uh, 
that I've been uh, coaching. So actually, and, and I've been coaching all my life. But yes, it was more, it was, officially, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. But I got, to, but it was that was more performance coaching, mm-hmm. and the coaching I'm doing now, there's there's performance coaching in there, but it's more about helping the leader gain insights as to what they can work, what they want to work on, and how, the, and the things they can work on, right? That yeah, they identify. yeah. That's, that's really so. It's a shift from the performance coach is more about helping them with closing, selling, you know, clinical yeah. skills. In my business, yeah. now it's more about helping them understand where where is it they want to be stronger, where is it they recognize they can be stronger, and then having them select the best options to get there. Yeah, that's great. And you got a full tool chest of amazing insights. You've got the experience, yeah. and then you have all these great tools. Yeah. That's awesome. I have my power tools for leader. Uh, power tools for leaders is probably about forty different references, models proven to help boost the leaders ability to achieve the things they want to achieve. Mm, that's I, magnificent. And, and it's custom. That's custom for each leader. So at the end, if I was working with Susie, you'd have a deck that was built specifically over the course of our sessions for you that you can use for life, for sustainability, yeah. right? For continued practice. Yes. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I know I'm always energized when we have conversations because you've you've got uh, you know another idea or another way to express it. We just always learn from each other. So it's uh this has been great. I wanna go with some final questions. One, I want to get your wake up eager tips. Besides being in an RV and um <laughs> and, <laughs> in the woods, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now for your wake up eager. So a wake up eager is, you know, I'm happy that you know, I was sad that the sun went down and I'm happy that the sun came up because I'm excited about my days, you know, mind, body, spirit. What are some of the top things that you personally are doing? I know you saw I'm essentially in the woods here. So for myself and my mind, you know, I like to sit here and watch the birds at my bird feeders. Yeah, yes. I like to enjoy the the visual of the outdoors, the trees and that. And I like to sit down at the ocean and relax. So you know, from my mind, I do I do those things. I also like to uh, I find cooking is therapeutic for me. Oh, so, I didn't know I you made, were a cook. Oh yeah, no. Uh, I just made eggplant parm the other day, and I made it from eggplants that I grew in my garden. So, oh wow, that's yeah. cool. And these are these baby eggplants, not the big ones you see in the store. So they're a little sweeter. Yeah, these are an Italian eggplant. But anyway, so. You ask what I do. Those are things that I do to stay mindful. I, I putz in the garden. I uh, watch my birds. I'm an ornithologist on the side. I identify. Oh, I didn't know that. The birds. Yeah. And uh, and there's, now we're getting into almost a migration time of the year where you'll have uh, different uh, species coming down from, from Canada on their journey to either Central America or South America. So your bird feeder, you never know what you're going to see out there. How about body and spirit? Anything you'd add there, what you do for physical health and then for family and a sense of community? So, you know, the, the band Queen, they have yeah. a song, I Ride My Bike, I Ride My Bike. Yeah, yeah. So, so for physical, I Ride My Bike, I Ride My Bike. And I go long distances on that for physical and I belong to the gym and all that. But yeah. really the, the, the bike, bike is the piece. Yeah. Bike is a, really it. And, you know, I've always been involved with... Uh, the community. I like to do things at the soup kitchen, show up and spend some time there helping others. That's nice. And, uh, you know, years back, I 
you know, brought an entire sales team down to Katrina to help them rebuild Musician Village. Oh, wow. Because they went after Katrina, they all left. And there's no place for them to live. They all went to Houston and all around. So we built, uh, anybody goes down to New Orleans and you go to Musician Village, you'll see those homes, Habitat for Humanity. And my team helped build half of them. Uh, so they came back. They had a place to bring back the culture of New Orleans. So Wow. That was big. That's amazing. Uh, what I used to do was I used to ride my bicycle for the American Diabetes Association, but it wasn't a bicycle. It was a unicycle. And I used, so I used to get people to sign up to pay me to ride a unicycle. How far do you think you ride a unicycle? Not very far. I don't know. How far can you ride a unicycle? That's like the big wheel, right? You sit on the little seat. Is that what a unicycle yeah, is or is it yeah, a little wheel? wheel? Just one wheel. It, one wheel. The big, it can be uh, a big wheel, but this is just one wheel. Okay, and, uh, I see. Yeah, and no, and no one would believe you could go far in that. But I used to go literally seventeen, eighteen miles, and I would raise fifteen hundred dollars, twenty three hundred dollars, because no one would believe that I could go that far. So uh, that was the other thing I used to do. So that's cool, learning all yeah. kinds of things. I'm seeing you on a unicycle. How cool is that? Okay, last couple of wrap up, wrap up questions. What sure. advice would you give your twenty five year old self? I would recommend that they go ahead if they haven't done so already and get an understanding of themselves through the three sciences. One science being style. What is their style? The second science being what are their motivators? What are their filters? So they understand themselves and others. And also the third science would be their their emotional intelligence, getting baseline scores as to where they are there. Because that is foundational for all your future engagements at work, family, wherever you go. I would recommend that as a foundation for your self-awareness and growth. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. If you could put a billboard anywhere for the world to see, where would you put it and what would it say? Well, I would put the billboard at all airports, okay, around all airports. And the billboard would say something like, you're making a journey Make your journey with the Trimetrics EQ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to come back to and that. And for those that don't know what that is, the Trimetrics is the foundation for a great journey in life. The three ah, sciences. What you just. Style, yeah, motivators, yeah. and emotional intelligence. Yes. That's what I would do. Yes. I love that. Spoken like a high theoretical utilitarian uh, executive coach. It's beautiful. Okay. So closing. What advice or wisdom would you want everybody to remember from today around, you know, either either and executive presence and power options? If they were going to take away one last thing, what would you want to impress upon them? I I would say make, make sure you understand your style. It, it starts with understanding your style and leveraging all the disc aspects that we that we went over. You know, what is our style and having some awareness to your executive presence and what are the areas that uh, you, know, you can lean into to be even more effective, right? What is, what, what are you aware of and what are others telling you? And you, there are practices that you can develop to grow your executive presence. Again, you're not born with it, but you can absolutely develop it. So that's a takeaway. You can develop it. And there are a myriad of tools, resources, and proven models to help you step into your next level of success. And I would encourage everyone to be thinking about that that's so inclined and wants to 
you know, take on more responsibility and have greater influence and impact in the companies they work at or the companies they run, yes. or the teams they lead. That's wonderful. Yes. So how do people best reach you? We'll have the show notes and have information in there, but just for the end of this conversation, what's the best place to reach out to you? They can call me directly to myself, 215-630-1475. They can go to, uh, they can email me, Sean at simonleads.com, or they can uh, go to my website, simonleads.com. But I'm personal. I'm very personal. You can text me, say who you are, and I'll pick up your call. And I give everybody a free one-hour consult. So I understand what their situation is and help them on that conf- on that call, complimentary, understand some immediate steps that they might be able to take to yeah. achieve what it is they want to do, right? Yeah. Oh, thank awesome. you, Susie. They can always ask you, too. Where's that guy, Sean Simon? <laughs> he said, where in the world is Sean Simon? He's either in Naples or he's in New Jersey or somewhere in between with some uh, bird watcher uh, binoculars around his neck, perhaps. <laughs> I didn't know that was something you did. Thank you for being a priceless friend and client all these years and colleague. And thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Just appreciate you. Susie, thank you. Keep doing all the incredible things you're doing. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the energy and the discussion today uh, with Sean. Some of my favorite thoughts is I love when he says, and maybe you caught this too, I always tell people I'm in the biggest room and I never leave it. And he said they look at him and he says, "Uh, what, you're in the biggest room and you never leave it? And he said, yep, that's the room for improvement. So his fun way of saying, hey, we always have room to grow. We always have opportunities to become more of the best version of ourselves. Uh, So that is a lifelong learner. That is somebody who's open to learning and open to development. For at the top of the game, there's another another ring to go in a way of openness. And so I love that, you know, the room, it's room for improvement is the biggest room. (laughs) We did talk about the lean in and the four power options, lean in, lean back, lean with. And don't lean and the Harvard Business Review article. That article is in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash executive presence. And I really like that. I'm so familiar with adapting and uh, using the disc and the motivators trying to think about, you know, what is happening in the room? What does this person need and want from me, you know, in the environment? Um, But I loved tagging what he's talking about from that article. Sometimes we need to lean in. So I need to be problem solving. I need to lean back. I need to ask questions. I need to work with, collaborate. And sometimes we don't need to make any kind of decision. We need to give it time. And so it'd be interesting to think about that and remember that you, you have options. And it's always what we talk about, about adapting. And that is don't, don't just put it in one gear. And that's the power often of knowing what your strengths are, because sometimes we like that gear. So if we have a tendency to do one of these options, that's the one we want to stay in. And, and the situation often calls for something different. So that's very brilliant. And I I hope you'll be able to use that, read the article. And then in the handout that he provided with the, it's a PDF and it has, has the more of the description in the grid of those four options, plus many other things around the disc. And where we talk about the birds, the way he uses it, describe birds, how I use it, describe it by the vehicles that you're driving and just a lot more information. Everything we talked about, all the books that he mentioned, the ladder book and those and the models, 
are are in the PDF that he provided. So go get that at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash executive presence. That's where the show notes are. And if you would like to get a disc and workplace motivator assessment, or maybe do Trimetrics EQ, be sure to follow up with Sean. His contact information is there. You can also reach out to me. I can always help you with a with different assessments as well. And and as a hint or a heads up, uh, episode ninety two, the next episode, we're talking about workplace motivators, and I'm going to be giving away fifty workplace motivators assessments to the first people who request it. Um, And and we're going to do it as a way to build reviews. We're asking people, if you will leave us a review, uh, we will send you this complimentary assessment. It's $150 value. Plus, I have a bunch of tools that help you debrief it. And, and, you know, you could share that and use that for your own um, growth and development. So heads up, next episode, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe to Wake Up Eager Workforce. And then we also have an app and we would love a review. So if you do give a review, save it, take a snapshot of it and send me a note. and We'll get you a complimentary workplace motivators assessment and access to the tools. we got a page that has all those tools about how to manage managing tips and uh, you, how to put more gas in your tank. There's so much there. So you can do that. And if you're not sure how to leave a review, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review. And we explain it there. The reason we want reviews is to heighten some visibility to the work when people are looking for tools and resources and want to get to know the people that we're highlighting and the topics that we're highlighting. We want to make sure people can find us. And we'd love to know that um, you're listening and you're interested. To check out all of our episodes, go to wakeupeagleworkforce.com. That's where you'll see the latest and then a list of all the all the episodes. So check us out. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate Sean sharing his talents with us. We just know so many interesting, uh, good people who are doing good work in the world, and it's very fun to highlight them here and expose them to you. Um, so if I can help you in any way, reach out to me, Susie, S-U-Z-I-E, at pricelessprofessional.com my email. I'd be happy to talk to you or help you in any way. And just go forward, create your wake up eager life, create a wake up eager workforce. It's much more fun to wake up, you know, to be happy, happy when, when you wake up, happy when the sun rises and, you know, a little sad when the sun goes down because you've had such a great day. That's kind of the objective or vision of um, what we're talking about here, about being involved and enthused and enjoying your life, enjoying your work, helping your employees do the same. So let's all all create that together. All right. I look forward to talking to you next time. We're coming up soon with another episode. We'll see you there. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 